All right, welcome to another edition of the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. My name is Randy Zellia from BackSportsPage.com. I'm Reed Rivera from Level 1 Games in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Two weeks in a row, ladies. Exactly. Listen, it's been a little rough for me, and I had the bags under my eyes just to show my war scars. But I am here, and I am back. We're rocking and rolling today. Who do we have? We have... The one, the the only two-time Hall of Famer. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer from UFC and a Hall of Famer from Impact Wrestling, right? We have the most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. I was scared that he was going to put the ankle lock on me. It was it was a pretty it was very uh, traumatic. I was I was I was very much hoping he would. I wanted to nice. see it done. Come on, man! He wasn't going to do it to me. I'm already crippled. I was about to say, he'll give you a belly back suplex. Yeah, my back is already broken, so you don't have to do – you look at me funny, and I can't walk, so let's – I literally had the mental picture. You said that. I think back to WrestleMania 14 and having the rocks or the blood from his mouth. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. In my picture, huh? Thanks. You want to see blood coming out of my lungs. My lungs suck already, and you want blood to come out of them? You hurt me with your words. Listen, we won't take any more of your time. This is Ken Shamrock, man. We got to rush into it. So, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy. Ken Shamrock. All right. Welcome back to the Cut for Wrestling podcast. Right now, we are honored and lucky to be joined by a Hall of Famer, a UFC Hall of Famer, Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer, the world's most dangerous man himself, Ken Shamrock, here with us on the cut. Ken, thanks for taking a few minutes with us today, buddy. I appreciate you guys having me. So I, I got to ask you, because I, when we were doing some research for this interview, everybody was just assumes back from 1997 when you came to the WWE, that was your first little dip into pro wrestling. But we re- did some research and we saw that you, back in 1988, you started training. Correct. Oh yeah. Um, actually, I started with Bud Sawyer uh, prior to that, uh, but it wasn't really much of anything other than just beating guys up and taking money. I didn't know. Uh, but uh, after I went through that stamp for a while, then we went to Mooresville, North Carolina, and we actually got with Nelson Royal uh, in his program down there. And that's when I really got to learn pro wrestling and start getting in the ring and and uh, and doing something with it. So I had, so I had about two and a half years of experience prior to going in and being a professional fighter, but I did that for, I don't know, 12, 15 years, something like that, and then went into pro wrestling, back into pro wrestling. Okay, yeah, because I, I saw that you you had some pro wrestling. You went to Japan, yeah. and uh, is that where you got into the MMA, like all the grappling over there? Well, actually, no. Um, I actually was in uh, Nelson's uh, uh, school of wrestling, and then I jumped over to South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, and uh, Dean Malenko had come up and was was uh, doing a territory with me and he stayed at my house. And so we were driving together and he showed me the videotape of the UWF back in the old day when it was the hybrid wrestling. And it was a form of, of uh, I guess, a shoot style pro wrestling. Yeah. And uh, so that's where I've got the first taste of it. And started going over to Japan and doing the UWF. And then, of course, it went into the Fujiwara Gumi and then, of course, Pankrace uh, into the real uh, fighting with Pankrace. I had one real fight with the Fujiwara Gumi one against Don Naka Nielsen, where it was a challenge. 
Uh, and, uh, and so that's where I think I really kind of understood where I wanted to go. It was wrestling. It was fun for a while, but then it started getting a little more extreme with UWF and then more extreme. And then finally to where we wanted to figure out what pro wrestling would be like if it was real, which was pancreas. And uh, that's where I really said, okay, now this is, this is what I want to do. And that, I'm so glad you brought up that because I always talk to Randy about this. I'm like, oh man, you, you, you have you ever heard of pancreas? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So now that you bring it up, uh, I, I want to get your your take on that. You were the first foreign-born champion, right? The king of pancreas. Yeah, I was, uh, and I think I was actually the first foreign or gaijin champion in Japan when it came to the mixed martial arts uh, world. It wasn't even here yet in the U.S. I mean, that wasn't even thought of. So I was doing it over in Japan for two and a half years prior to coming in back here to the United States and then fighting in the UFC, whereas, you know, Hoyce Gracie was the only other one. And I think he had like 20, 20, 20, 22 years uh, of experience under his belt. And they've been planning this time event uh, for their whole life. I mean, they've been doing it over in Brazil and then they came to the U.S. and they were challenging people and coming to their dojo and, you know, Hoist and Horian and, and uh, Hickson and all of them were already trying to do this and to show the world who they were by doing these fights. So a lot of us that went into that first event had no idea what we were going to experience. Even what I did in Japan was nothing compared to stepping into the UFC. So all of us were just kind of blown away at the extreme level of fighting that we were getting into. And But for the Gracies, that was a comfortable, and they understood what they were getting into. So they had everybody um, at an advantage, tremendous advantage. Yeah, because in the U.S. we didn't see that before. That, that was something wow. brand new. I remember watching it as a kid, and I, I saw you guys just – throwing fists and i was like wow this is amazing you know this was before weight classes and everything so or, or a football kick from the guy on the ground you just walk up and kick him right in the face yeah <laughs> you're like really <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah totally different yeah. yeah so you were one of the founding fathers in the in the cage for for ufc uh and you and gracie were were you know inducted into the hall of fame uh the first members of the hall of fame what does that mean to you knowing that you you were sort of the one who laid the groundwork for this big conglomerate now and as the ultimate fighting championship. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take it's a responsibility and an honor. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I did something I love doing. Uh, I, I didn't do it because I, you know, wanted to help other people or, or, you know, I had this thought of being a kind person. This was all, it was something I wanted to do and it was my, me wanting to be famous. I wanted to be the best. And so I went out and did that. And, uh, and so to be in that position where I was inducted into the hall of fame, one of the first ones along with Hoist, you know, then all of a sudden now, even though I was doing everything for me and and I was going to train, I was going to get there. It now all of a sudden there was a responsibility. I felt like, okay, being in that position and being inducted into the hall of fame means that I have a responsibility to be able to carry myself in a manner that is professional and that helps other people want to compete in the UFC and want to continue doing this kind of fighting in the UFC. So then it became almost this thing in my head where it's like, now I had a responsibility to keep this thing alive. Uh, hence me coming back and fighting Tito Ortiz at, at 40 something years old and him being, you know, in his prime, uh, because I felt an obligation 
because they were dying. And and Danny even came to me and said, hey, man, we're, we're getting killed. We're dying. They're only doing 30,000 buys or some, something stupid. And Tito was their champion. Problem with Tito was Tito had plenty of ability to sell out arenas, right? But he had nobody coming across from him that would help him sell those tickets. And so he had nobody that would confront him or nobody that would build those tickets. He would go in and just beat guys. And they just didn't know how to sell a fight. When I came in there, I taught them how to sell a fight. And, uh, and so for me, I think all of that, all of that is, I believe, a responsibility being inducted into the Hall of Fame and being one of the first ones is to keep my legacy alive and also to keep the UFC alive. And it's funny, too, because as soon as you start talking about promoting in the business, I know Emily rolls his eyes at me when I start trying to talk the behind the scenes and the business side of it and promoting because that's like my that's my wheelhouse. But yeah. I, I have to ask, because like me, I'm one of those people I don't have as much of a athletic ability as a lot of other people. So can obviously you, it's not you guys just showing up in the cage and saying, hey, we're going to have a fight. Can you talk about having to train how long is a training camp the regiment and what's it like to step inside the cage and look across the cage from somebody knowing that you guys are going to grapple and, and i don't want to say beat the tar out of each other but you guys are going to be <laughs> pretty much what it is beat the tar out of each other so the train the training first how, like how long is a camp usually well listen um i think that i have to explain kind of where we were at during this time, because I think nowadays people talk about their training. It's much different than what we did. Uh, I mean, we didn't even know who we were going to fight. Right. I mean, we could walk in there and there's three guys we're going to face. And, uh, and you didn't know who you were going to face or what kind of background they had or where they came from. And there was just no history. And so when you walk into the fights, you're like, okay, roll the dice. Is he a striker? Or is he a grappler? Is he roll around on the ground? Is he strike? You know, it's, it was really hard to know all those things. And you're in a tournament. So now when you beat a guy, now you have to think about the next guy and you don't know what he is either. So it was a wild, wild west. And so the best thing I could I could explain to you on how we prepared to train was that we just went in and made sure that we were in physically in the best shape we could possibly be in. So no matter what happened in the fight, we could make sure we closed it out and be there if it took 15 or it took 30 minutes. Uh, that we were in great, good enough shape to be able to finish the fight. And at, and at the same time, too, um, understand what bare knuckle punches felt like. So we would roll around and we would let guys get hit with bare knuckle, but it was controlled. But you had to feel it because getting hit with a bare knuckle, man, it's like the, the great old world. Well, everybody's tough till you get hit with that first punch, right? I mean, but this isn't a boxing glove, right? This is a fist. So it's even more real in that sense when you take that because no one, no one, no one understood what it was to fight like this. So you go in there, you're rolling around, a guy punches you in the face, and all of a sudden you're going, that's not supposed to happen. Like, no, yeah, it is. That's what we're doing now. So we literally went in into our events and that's why the Lions did tryouts and the Lions Den was so epic. And, and so many stories told about it because we did fight and we did go into the dojo and we fought each other to make sure we prepared ourselves for what we were going to be getting into. So when we trained, we punched each other and uh, maybe not the smartest things in the world, but we didn't have the other, <laughs> we didn't have the other boundaries to go by. Right. So we just said, well, let's just go do it. And so we would put three guys in on you and a guy would switch in every minute, sometimes every five minutes, depending on how much we wanted to push, push somebody. We go one minute goes or, or three minute goes. Um, and it would constantly keep a fresh guy on you and you would get punched with bare knuckle. And, 
it literally after a while in the dojo when we fought, it literally was no big deal for us to get hit. We knew what it felt like. We knew it wasn't that bad and that we'd be okay. Maybe we get cut, but it's not bad. Like literally the other guy would get hurt worse if we were able to make sure they didn't hit us in the nose or the chin. We make them punish them by hitting us in the forehead or the side of the head by moving our head to a position where they would hit us wrong. Uh, so it wasn't, we got used to the bare knuckle a lot faster than the rest of them. And that's why we did so well. A lot of people go, well, Lionsay was always going in there. I was winning. These guys would come in fresh and beat black belts, uh, you know, six months of training. And because bare knuckle was so original and so different that when somebody got hit, they literally lost everything and all their thoughts about what they were doing. Jesus, I, I can only imagine that, man. Wow, my God. <laughs> Listen, I've never, I don't think I've ever been hit that hard that many times within three minutes, especially. So I can't imagine it. But I, I wanted to ask you so during this time, you're in UFC, and I think uh, you, you broke your hand, I believe, right? And you go and you train with Bret Hart. And how was that like? And, and what what did he say to get you into WWF at that time? No, I, I think that's not correct. I broke no? my hand, but uh-huh. I didn't train with Bret Hart then. I oh, trained no? with Bret Hart after I after. left we left UFC. Okay. Uh, then I went to train with Bret to get into pro wrestling, my first match with Van Vader. Uh, but when I broke my hand, um, I had, there was, well, actually it was two different times. One, when I was supposed to fight Tank, Tank Abbott and Brian Johnston, and I hit him several times, then I had to switch hands and use the other one to finish him because I had, I had a spiral fractured my hand. And uh, I think you can still see the bump there. Oh, it's, my it's, God. Yeah, it's, it's got another knuckle right here. So, um, but I finished the fight, got the win. Then when I tried to go back out there, I couldn't close my hand. And uh, they, they, they told me, hey, you know, don't go in. Of course, me, my, I would have gone in. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't stupid either. I wasn't going to force it when they said, listen, squeeze my hand. And when I couldn't squeeze it, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be fighting Tank Abbott. So maybe I might need the other hand. Uh, so that didn't happen. And and uh, it took me a little while to heal up. But I came back. And I remember did it. I did it again uh, when I was in training. My first time I broke it. And that was with Vernon. And, and that's when I was supposed to go in and I forget I was supposed to fight, uh, I come back and fight again because after the first one, um, I lost a horse and I wanted him badly. I was supposed to come back again. And then in training, I broke my hand cause I caught a kick. I was parrying a kick, caught my finger and it's, it, it broke my hand. So then I had to wait to go back. Uh, and hence when coming back and then fighting in the tournament and then winning both my fights, sitting in the main event, waiting for a horse. And then Hoist couldn't continue because he was exhausted, which was another story that pissed me off because everybody's exhausted. Everybody's got an injury when you get to the finals. It's just the way it is with bare knuckle. Yeah. But Hoist has to be put himself in. And I think the Gracies were a lot like that, too, where if there was a disadvantage for them, they wouldn't fight. They would just say, wait until we feel better. But everybody else in, in the UFC, in the tournaments, would continue to keep going in the finals, no matter what kind of injuries you had. You knew how important it was to make it to the finals, and you weren't going to not go to the finals. Um, but when that happened with Hoyce, when he basically said, because Kimo gave him a, not Kimo, but Kimbo gave him a, a tremendous uh, go and, and, and exhausted him, then he basically came into the next round and threw in the towel. And you're thinking to yourself, why do you go into the fight and then throw in the towel when there's somebody that's an alternate that can step into your place and do the fight. Really? And 
Yes. He stepped into the second bout knowing that he wasn't going to fight and then threw in the towel and it, it allowed um, this kid from Canada um, to go into the finals without having to fight a second time. Oh, wow. Hence, wow. I was, I was always, I was already in the finals, won both of my fights and sitting in the finals and Hoist goes into his second fight, knowing I've already made it into the finals, throws in the towel. So the guy would walk into the finals fresh. Oh, that's instead terrible. of letting somebody come in and fight that spot to make it into the finals, especially if somebody's there. Yeah, they are there. Yeah. That same guy, because I didn't do the finals, I stepped away and said, If voice is not in there, I'm not fighting because I knew I could beat the guy. I mean, it was no question in my mind, I would destroy him, but I wasn't there for anybody but Hoist. Yeah, and, and I was determined I was going to beat him because I was the best. I had already proved it in Japan. I lost to him in the first one. I wanted this one in the second. There's nobody else that would that I could fight that would improve what I wanted to do. I was already considered one of the best. Hoist was considered one of the best. We needed to fight. He backed out of the fight. And then I was supposed to go fight some tomato can in the finals. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is not what I want. I want Hoist. And uh, hence, push the single fight, super fight ever. Because once I said I wasn't going into the finals, I wanted Hoist. It literally made them rethink the way that that tournament form was because Hoist, because he got tired, didn't want to come into the finals, even though I was injured and hurt too, but I was willing to go into the finals knowing, I know he was beat up a little bit too. We were both beat up because we both had two tough fights. He had one and then he got through a second fight. And I think that fight would have been easier for him uh, rather than two fights that I had. But either way, I was in the finals and I would have fought him no matter what kind of serious injuries I had. I was there to fight him and I didn't care what it took. I was going to get him. And then he backs out after this first fight and then throws in the towel and then basically says he was exhausted. And uh, that, that's one thing that just that made me angry is because, you know, when you're in these UFC fights, I don't care who you are. More than likely after fighting two bare knuckle fights and sometimes three, you have injuries. You just have to tough it up. Wow. So, you know, I had no idea that's how it went down because I remember that the UFC did like these tournaments, like you're saying, and then it all like one day just snapped and it changed. So now I see you the catalyst for that. That's interesting. Yeah, I made the push for that. Of course, just like with anything else, I don't get credit for a lot of the stuff I did first because no, no I don't know. Maybe I pissed off too many people, <laughs> <laughs> but, but hey, I'm, I'm good at that. So whatever. I mean, I, I think I like my role. Let me ask you a question. Did you finally get, because I'm not a UFC guy. Randy knows more about the UFC than I do. Did you finally get uh, Royce? Oh, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Second fight, I beat him. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did. I got, a, he, he did. I got a picture right there on my wall. It's me and Royce with our arms around each other. And his face looks like a hamburger. <laughs> so, um, everybody says, well, Royce says, well, he didn't come to fight. And every time he says it, I pull up this picture and I said, damn, what did you think if I would have came to fight? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's hard to transition from that. But uh, like, like I mentioned before about training with Bret Hart and uh, coming to the WWE, I would love to get your thoughts on training with Bret and also your first appearance at the Manhattan Center on a live. It was one of the first. It was, that was when WWE was making the transition to like the Raw is War type of 
yes. format. So you were the that was the last time they before they're going switching over to Raw's War in the Manhattan Center with a live rowdy crowd at the same night that they had the ECW invasion. So can you talk about training with Brett and also the debut at the Manhattan Center? Yeah, I tell you what. Um Chaining with Brett was probably one of the, I mean, you couldn't have put me with anybody more perfect. It was like, he was no nonsense. I know a lot of people don't like him unless you're from Canada. Right. And, and they think he's stuck up and cocky and you know, that was his character. People, he's the, he, that's who he is. And he's a heel and, uh, and he's, he's a serious guy. And so when they put me with him, I was a little skeptical, but once I got there, man, I was very happy because He's a no nonsense person, man. And that's, that's kind of me when you're training. It's like, we're here to do something. We're not here to, you know, pity pat, shake hands and talk about the good old days. We're in here to just get sweaty and get bloody and, and, and get sore. And that's what Brad was. And I got in there and we started working, man. He showed me stuff. He taught me how to be me being in a wrestling ring, told me not to back down from uh, these guys wanting me to turn me into a pro wrestler. He said, don't be a pro wrestler, be you, you're a submission expert. You do your stuff and let them work around you. Um, and then, uh, and so that's what I did. I basically went into pro wrestling and worked, learned from Brett, worked with him for a while. He gave me a great insight of who I needed to be. And, uh, and that's why I was able to, to step into those locker rooms with an understanding of, hey, I have to respect every one of these guys, no matter how low they are. They're, they're there and that they have more experience than I do. And they did because I'd have been away from this for a long, long time. And I would not been at this level before. So every one of those guys in the locker room had more uh, experience and were veterans. And I was a rookie and I had to come in as so. So whenever I work with somebody, I always shook their hand and say, hey, tell me what you want to do. With the understanding of what Brett told me, he's like, shake everybody's hand, ask them what you want them to do. And make sure, even though you're coming to them and you're allowed to put the match together, make sure they don't turn you into a pro wrestler. Don't be doing these hip tosses and, and these these suplexes, uh, so these whatever laterals. You do belly to bellies and ankle locks and chokes and arm bars, the things that you do. Um, and if they try to change that, just tell them that Vince wants you to be you. Stay with what you who you are and that you'll just counter off all the pro wrestling stuff that they do. Um, and he said, just, and learn to sell because if you can sell and, and make these guys look good, the more they're going to want to work for you. And so all these little tips that Brett gave me along with the hard work in the gym. Um, and I don't care what anybody says, if they, if they dislike him, Brett was a hard worker. Brett worked his ass off, uh, in the, in the gym, preparing for these different matches and things of that nature. And I, and I was there to see it. So, um, and I was a part of it. So that's what I respected about him. Now, one of the things I noticed, and, and you were kind of a pioneer because you came from the UFC into wrestling. Like, I didn't even know that you did wrestling first, right? I was always under the impression as a kid, oh, my God, this UFC guy came to the WWF. This is so cool. And now you see that more often. Everybody wants to be the shooter.